You are now about to witness the awesome crushing might of the U.G.S. Robinson. Sorry for the voice. Sorry. Show. Stop it! Dizzy as fuck, dizzy as fuck from that. I knew it was gonna happen. I held the note too long. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies plural, gentlemen singular. I figure at least one of you might be a gentleman. Welcome to V17. Sorry. Of the UGS Robinson Showstopper V17. This show is about a disturbing set of circumstances which may or may not tie into Bella Thorpe last weekend and UFC Amanda Nunes and Rachel Pennington. We'll get to that towards the show end. We got heavy shit to talk about. This is a tribute show for a man who I will call a friend, Adam Parfrey. Publisher Feral Press, Feral House Press, died on May 10th. I still don't know why, but uh, I liked him probably more than I had a right to. And spoke to him mere days before. No need to tell me condolences. If his family needs it, go buy a Feral House Press book or something. But right now, the words that kick it all off stigmata. Calling of the judge. I'm taking a real good look at you. I'm taking a real good look at your face. So be it payback in full, always nothing. All right. So I had I had a rocking show start because I plugged in the headphones before I was ready to start. So those of you who listened from the top heard me coming through this, that little speaker there. I'm going to do it right now because I got a lot of stuff to get into. It may go slightly over an hour. Let's wait for the headphones to kick in. Kick in. And I think they have successfully kicked in. If they haven't, you guys know the process. Tweet me. Uh, anyway, I'm going to get right into this because I don't have time to fuck around. Um, this has happened to me twice in the last several years. And uh, in, in one instance, I was talking shit about uh, Donald Trump at jujitsu. And speaking of jujitsu, uh, I returned to train yet today. I missed the hoist seminar yesterday, and I discover that in my absence, the enterprising uh, young uh, 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 jujitsu players at the Sorrell Academy have done a book, Eugene S. Robinson's Guide to Gym Etiquette. It's actually a very should be a very short book, and it's got a forward. You can see written by Leopoldo Sorrell. Maybe it's backwards on your screen, too. I don't know. It's backwards on mine. mine. 
and, and you see a picture of him snaring there. And I'll read you just a random sampling. Uh, he thinks you are going to be mean to him because he's always going to be mean to you. He's tried to correct you, and he's not correcting you. Uh, uh, the morning class, he's coming. It's always fun with him. Without him, it's not fun. Not too much fun. You don't have the jokes. You don't have the gangbang histories. <laughs> we could just stop there. And uh, as you get into uh, the Eugene S. Robinson Guide to Gym Etiquette, you see it's a very simple to read book because they're mostly pictures uh, taken on other members at the gym's phones. If you leave your phone out for five minutes, somebody will grab it. It used to be a bunch of people who would do this. Uh, typically now, I've been there long enough, it's winnowed down to me. So I look like the lunatic. Uh, and this goes on, and you see uh, my gym etiquette is pretty, pretty monomaniacal. It seems to be trying to say, see, there's his world champ. It seems to be saying something that I can't quite put my finger on. I'm not the only one in the book, too. We've got guest celebrities, and uh, uh, we, we even have stuff from, from Knuckle Up, the former show, with Sorrell makes an appearance. The author, actually, Martin Galinsky, he makes an appearance, some more celebrities. And it just, oh, there's a guy wearing an Oxbow shirt, and it just goes on and on. It's really a piquant history. There's me hating on the Red Hot Chili Peppers, naturally. It's really a, a, a peak in history and, and, and a peak into how to be the best jiu-jitsu player possible. So uh, I don't know that it's commercially available, but if you're interested, I, I'll check with the man who wrote it. Anyway, let's get right into it. The first time it happened was when I was at jiu-jitsu and I said some shit unkind about Trump. And one of the guys there, the guy who actually authored this book, he said, uh, I'm sick of people telling me I'm an idiot for supporting Trump. And I was shocked. And that's when I discovered people generally who I think are, are sane end up being less so or and or very possibly are people who I respect, who have differing opinions, and we can pleasantly coexist without being caught up in the uh, craft book, Facebook uh, outrage generator, umbrage generator, which they've done. It's scientifically proven at this point. Our studies have, have borne out that uh, uh, negative responses uh, uh, gain gar garner greater interest and that's why <laughs> uh, Facebook likes to serves up that kind of shit that gets your goat. You know, Facebook, as far as I'm concerned, is that that smaller friend that you have that always runs into the bar saying, you won't believe what this fucking guy just said. Man, I, I'm not getting into your fights so you can buy a fucking Rolls Royce. I'm not doing it. I won't participate. So uh, generally, I'll, I'll snark, but I also realize I'm just adding to the show. It's like running from fist fight to fist fight. I'm not there for your show, especially if your show makes you drive a Rolls Royce and it makes me walk to work if if I even have a job. But I was surprised. The point is I was surprised that we could have diff that we could disagree without being disagreeable. It's a pleasant surprise. I never thought about it. I'm surrounded myself with people generally who think like me. Uh, and in this case, the guy does think like me, but he has political sympathies that are on the other side. So I just spent the, my voice is thrashed out because I just spent a few days in Italy touring with this band, sorry, Bunuel. And the record that comes out is called The Easy Way Out. It's available now, Amazon, Tidal, iTunes. 
Spotify, uh, anywhere you might want to buy it, you can find it. And uh, the bass player is uh, who's probably an artistic genius. His name is Pier Paolo Capavia. And he has a uh, other band. Uh, this is a, a bona fide Italian super group, Javier Iriando is the uh, uh, the guitar player and uh, producer of the record. His band, After Hours, plays stadiums in front of 65,000 people routinely. Uh, and the drummer drums for both of their other bands. One Dimensional Man is Pierre Paolo's band. So I'm really the, the laggard. Uh, <laughs> people routinely still come up to our shows. Our biggest show had about six, 700 people in it. And they said, yeah, we knew these guys had no idea who you were. Uh, but you had to make the, sh make the show. So I, I got to doff my hat to these guys. They're introducing me as a vocalist to a, uh, a new audience of people who really don't give a shit about music that's not Italian. And one guy came up, he thought that the PA was fucked up. He goes, because I didn't understand a word the guy was saying. Uh, he's not singing in Italian. You do know that, right? So, oh, that's to me a major accomplishment that the guy thought I was speaking in Italian, but he just couldn't understand because of the PA. That was a pretty uh, major accomplishment. But anyway, we're in the van and I start talking to uh, 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 Pier, uh, Pier Paolo. And you know, I've got this Mussolini sticker on my computer, which is akin to having a Hitler sticker on your computer in Germany, sort of. Especially they say, oh my God, Pierre Paolo sees that he's gonna flip. He's, you know, he's a communist. So we're talking about politics and, um, he says, uh, frankly, Eugene, I have to say, honestly, I'm quite happy, and many here uh, in Europe are, were quite happy that Hillary did not win. And immediately I launch into my anti-Trump uh, uh, um, screed, you know, and he, he just says, look, and he makes his hand-waving gesture, and he just goes, look, you know. In essence, I'll just give you a short story before I get into direct quotes. The essence was that, you know, your canards, your wall, your the good people on both sides, your Charlottesvilles, your grabbing by the pussy. That's what he dismisses as weeds. And this is like this is like this is like the shit that the magician does over here while the magic trick is done over here. He's quoted a few people who are well known to me, right? Like Noam Chomsky and a couple of other ideas. But then he um he 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 latched onto this concept called the uh, infinite richness, which I haven't yet had the chance to look up. But I said, Hillary, look, you know, I have to imagine that Hillary was going to be better than what we have now. And he goes, he goes, I, I don't believe it. I, I believe that. Um, I believe that. I said, you got to understand. Yes. You know, Trump is the American Berlusconi, not a bright guy, not a spark guy, not a couth guy, not an intellectual you know, none of the things that you would think make somebody good at a dinner party, but um, he didn't have part of part of that is a product of him not having a plan and him not having a plan was a good plan because the plan that Hillary had um, and it was largely largely involved uh, a war, an unavoidable war with China. And and then we're off to the races. And I said, where are you where are you getting this from? He said, listen. Listen, and you know, I I spiel, I, I did a spiel uh, uh, to somebody today, and he was like, "Man, this sounds like tin hat stuff." Until we got to the very end, so you're gonna have to stick with this. If not, go away. Listen to so have somebody tell you in the comments down below. 
So he, he I said, what were you, what are you getting? Where are you getting this? He goes, the signs were there. The machinery was there. Okay, let, let's back up. What do you, what do you, what do you mean? What do you mean the signs were there? He goes, let's look at Libya. So let me get this straight. You uh, thought that it made sense to tilt the awesome power and might of the U.S. Uh, armed forces against Muammar Gaddafi because he was a, a, a dictator and a tyrant. And I said, well, yeah, presumably, you know, we were got caught up in Arab Spring fever. We're going to aid the people's river. Oh, aid, aid the people. Do you think that's really what the massive power and might of the United States of America with the largest military in the history of the world, do you think that's really what they want to do when they went into Libya was to aid the people? I said, well, now that you put it that way, it makes it sound kind of kind of Pollyannish that I would believe that. But I think he goes, that was a, a, a Hillary directed. And, and, and I said, well, I don't want to get hung up on Hillary. He goes, make no mistake. From a European perspective, I'm not getting hung up on Hillary either. I'm just telling you what the USA's plan is, whether it's Obama, whether it was Hillary Clinton, whether it was Trump. Trump, in this instance, was a, 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 a spanner in the works, as the Brits say, you know, was a fly in the ointment. It was unexpected, uh, but he may prove to be yet a useful fool for the global machinations of them. I go, who's them? He goes, let's get to that later. So suddenly you're opposed to despots and tyrants. Since when? And if you're going to have a list of despots and tyrants, why go after this one versus that one? This was about oil. Libya was about oil. And it was going to be, it was going to be, it was going to take us there sooner rather than later. You know, you got to understand European perspective is very different, Eugene, because this shit's going to happen in our streets like it happened in our streets in fucking night uh, up straight up until 1945 and beyond if you live in some of the satellites like hungary or romania with the tanks rolling down the fucking street this is not fantasy for us it's very real and the very real ramifications and um and and he said there was a plan and a plot so why do you think that there's talk resurging talk about the possibility of her running again in 2020. I as well, I don't know. I think that she was felt done dirty and, you know, wants to make history. He goes, he looks at me like I'm an idiot. And I go, well, what, why China? He goes, well, there are two ways that you can pay your creditors. And he spills out the whole Donald Drake story. I don't know if you remember that story as a kid. Quack, quack. When will I get my money back? Donald Drake apparently had plenty of money and the king did not. So the king uh, borrowed money from Donald Drake. And Donald Drake says, great, I'll give it to you as long as you pay me back. King says, yeah. you know, Of course, like all these fairy tales, this was that formed the basis of, of G Germany's hallucinatory anti-Semitism because Donald Drake wasn't really a duck, right? Donald Drake wore a little skull cap, favored yellow vest. In the original, Donald Drake wasn't even a duck, okay? Um, like Rumpelstiltskin, these were vaguely Hebraic uh, 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 protagonists, but whatever, I'm getting, that's a side note. So he lends him the money. That he, I got to go see the king and get the money. And as he walks to the king's uh, 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 castle, Donald Drake's uh, uh, 
oft-quoted refrain is, quack, quack, when will I get my money back? And the king says, fuck it, I'm not paying this guy. Can you imagine me giving a duck a million dollars? Fuck him. And he tries to kill Donald Drake several times. Uh, first, he tries to drown him, which, of course, Donald Drake is a duck and swim. Then he tries to push him off a cliff. He's a duck. He can fly. You know, shit like this. So, um, so, uh, so it's one of those things. Quack, quack. When will I get my money back? Um, so he says... This is, and I'm talking when I say he in this instance, for those of you who turn, tuned in late, I'm talking about Pierre Paolo Capovia. Well, I, I'm unsure whether I got this right. I would need to check, but apparently his father was a leading edge. And you got to understand, communist in 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 Europe, specifically in a place like Italy, um, uh, are anti-fascist. It's not communist like Stalin communist. These guys are idealists who believe in a uh, 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 an active form of social uh, uh, socialism, social engagement, um, and uh, of course, it's pie in the sky stuff. We've never seen it for maybe like a week after the revolution before they start lining people up and shooting them. But they are they are Marxist communists, not Stalin communists, or Trotskyites, or or are hardcore doctrinaire types, not Maoist. You know, um, they believe in equitable social arrangements of some kind. So I'm unsure whether his father was the guy or, or as well, or it's just Pierre Paolo. So he, he spews out this whole theory that is sounding fucking, you know, um, engaging as fuck to me suddenly. And he says, we in Europe uh, are concerned about this in a very existential way. Uh, unlike you guys in the States who have the time and the luxury, the luxury to be concerned about you know, grabbing them by the pussy and the walls and the, you know, the cheating on the wives and the porn stars, all that look over here stuff. But you got to understand that the machinery, the machinery um, does not tolerate deviations from, and and I go, okay, all right, all right, all right. Uh, before we get lost in, in a, a counter set of weeds, what is the ultimate objective? I'm not talking about some shit that Noam Chomsky said. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about what is a possible end game? Or like uh, Black Flag once saying, control, control for who, for what? And he goes, well, the real concern, if you want my opinion, is overpopulation. I go, what's well, weird that Paul Ehrlich was just on the radio. Uh, Paul Ehrlich was a Stanford professor who wrote the book about, uh, about overpopulation. Uh, being a, a being a serious issue, and if people are not taking climate change seriously, they sure as fuck aren't going to take a uh, 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 population the population bomb. And of course, when you hear Ehrlich talk, he sounds like a fucking lunatic after a while. Um, but all of a sudden, well, you know, suddenly it seems to me that um, it seems credible that the concern is if you are a billionaire, let's just say billionaire, that's as close as he would get come to uh, um, the infinitely rich is as close as he would come to defining a they. You have no interest in nation states. The, the, you, you have no boundaries that you know or hold to be significant. And yes, you play the game, uh, but do you think billionaires are getting on? It took me 14 plus hours to get back to this show. You think billionaires are doing that? You think they're sitting for 11 of those 14 hours next to a kid that screamed the entire time? 
jammed in a center seat between two guys who thought it made sense to take their shoes off. You think that's how they're getting around? Nope, they're not. You know, do you think that they're staying online to get passport clearance before they get on, uh, get into the country to get their luggage to recheck back? No, they're not. Do you think they give a fuck about nations and principalities? No, they don't. They do not. They have a different set of priorities and a different set of interests. And at, uh, at the very least, empirically, we can say whatever we can say about them, we know one thing. They have an affection and affiliation for cash. They have accrued quite a bit of it one way or another. And a marketplace that allows them, a marketplace that allows them to accrue more of it seems to be a fundamentally more sound marketplace for them, at least since I have to assume that they like having it, otherwise they would give it away or lose it. So they, they, they would prize that type of marketplace over another. So you say, Eugene, why would they give a shit about overpopulation? Those are just cons- customers. Those are just consumers. These are people that you need to make somebody a billionaire. Oh, really? How much is a guy in Burkina Faso who makes mm, $600 a year How much is that guy contributing to the global marketplace? If that guy is not digging up minerals from the dirt under his feet or constructing our our gigas and our our HoloLenses and our VR uh, gaming consoles, that guy is of no use to that marketplace. He's a classical greedy bread gobbler. You know, we had a a paroxysm of... uh, I may have pronounced that wrong, an upheaval of of, uh, population uh, um, leveling activity ended in 1945. And then again with the Korean War and the Vietnam War. And uh, of course, Marshall McLuhan's Global Village has left a lot of us in a place where we're hyper-conscious. Even the Balkans that happened during my lifetime was done pre-internet. Vietnam, Vietnam, which is a war that I came of age on, was on TV to a certain extent, but it was almost much less real than than Superman TV show. People were coming back dead, but I didn't know any of them. I mean, I was a kid then, but still. AIDS. I mentioned this to him. He shrugs. And he said, very possibly. In other words, if I have a department store, whatever I sell in that department store, I'm only interested in the people who can afford to buy in that department store. If you can't afford to buy in a department store and you're taking and you're somehow interfering, like the homeless people loitering outside in front of banks, you're interfering with the possibility of people, of me making a sale, you're an enemy of the business. And what's good for you can't be what's good for me. However, what's good for me could be what's good for you. All you got to do is amass some money. You can't amass some capital because, well, because I've got billions of it. Hmm. You can't provide a service that I can leverage to continue making billions of it. Hmm. It is a it, it is a sausage theory on a global fucking massive scale that pits that pits fundamentally them against us. 
And he goes, you Americans are fucking around with the porn stars and the pussies and the corruption probes, not understanding. I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. What about this Russian shit? He goes, oh, Russia. Okay, let's talk about Russia. First of all, and I'm going to get this out of the way right up. I'm going to tell you like he told it to me. So caveat emptor, right? Uh, buyer beware. It, it, it might inform what's going to come after, but I'm going to tell you what he said. He goes, Vladimir Putin is a man of peace. And I got big howls of laughter out of me. Man of peace, I ah, killed the, he poisoned the father and his daughter. He goes, it's not entirely clear to me that uh, that Vladimir Putin poisoned those people at all. Do you know what's within uh, 10, 10 kilometers of the place where they were found poisoned? A, a UK military site that has uh, a, a American uh, a, a chemical company interest uh, very close to it, uh, affiance to it. He goes, every Russian that's in the UK right now is being held fucking hostage by the UK government. And I was like, you're crazy. The UK would never do that. He goes, oh, okay. The largest imperial fucking power, that one of the largest imperial powers that the world has ever seen after ancient Rome. They would never do something like that. They would never poison two Russian citizens that they say can't that they say don't want to leave, and actual fact they can't leave in order to make uh, Russia look bad. He goes, we're headed to a war with China because we could pay China back, or we could pay China back. He goes, you know, the billionaires in in Russia are largely friends of ours because they're petrol petrol billionaires. So they're contributing sausages to the plate in a very significant way. And trampling the civil rights of a few of your citizens doesn't mean anything because it doesn't stop them from consuming. I said, you really believe he's a man of peace? He, I go, he's a, he said, he's a functionary. He's a working class guy, KGB. It's informed his worldview, but he's not some massive Dr. Evil. The guy's trying to, you know, he's trying to keep making money. If it benefits the Russian people, okay. If it doesn't, well, then that's tough titty, which largely seems to be the clarion cry of this them. The billionaire class, the infinitely rich. People who are not waiting online and getting their passport cleared 14 hours next to screaming babies. They do not do this. And they think about the world in a very different, different way. Me, I'm saying, why can't Hillary just go someplace and enjoy the $50 million she's got? It's not enough. That's not it. And they're very heavy people behind. So another, another Pierre Paolo didn't say this, but somebody else countered with. Also, I said, her political sympathies are, are skew. She thinks people are interested in her for 2020. Guy told me, uh, the D-man, I'll just admit it was the D-man, I, I don't think he cares, He that she surrounds herself with enablers, this bubble of enablers that follow her, and that Bill is just happy to have some free time. Could be, could be credible. I don't know that I'm willing to see her as a doc. He goes, you got to get, and this is now back to Pierre Paolo Capovia, he says, you got to get that out of your head. This cast of characters, America love these TV dramas, but that's not what it is, man. It's not oh, Hillary versus Trump and Trump versus Hillary and Fox News. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not nothing to do with that. 
It's a global movement afoot. A global movement afoot to drive us toward war with China, us in the West. And, uh, and you know, it's like Rosemary's baby. Everybody's complicit. The UK, France. Why are these, why is Italy a fundamentally a super poor country? Why is it in inviting uh, refugees in from Syria that it can nary afford? I was just there. See these guys in tent cities. It didn't, Italy didn't used to look like this. Italy is specifically being made to look like this. Guys in, in dirty clothes sleeping all over the streets. They don't have a homeless problem like, like they have in America and Italy. They have one now. These are, these are combat-ready men between the ages of 18 and, and, and 50. By which I mean these are pretty healthy guys who are shit out of luck living on the streets. Why would you want to destabilize? Because it's like if I got people trying to get into my store who interfere, I'm going to do, do air horn. I'm going to black. I, I need to disrupt. I need to disrupt. I need to break the normal flow. I need the, the kind of control that uh, uh, singularity and nationalism might give me. I have to make quick decisions. They're going to work better if we're all working as a unit. And of course, there's that overpopulation thing again. And it 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 it, it sort of blasted it blasted my concept because I have been singularly focused on the New Yorker that I love to hate. Trump. He's like Trump is is you know Trump was a an X element. I'm pretty sure they did not. The billionaires were focused on other things. They did not expect him to win. But then they found him to be a useful fool. The tax cut, do you know how much how many billions that returned to to America in the hands of people who had billions already? They don't give a shit how many porn stars Trump bangs. They don't give a fuck about that. Nor do they care about people getting killed in Charlottesville. Nor it's 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 a side effect. Or as a friend of mine from Soviet Georgia said about Stalin, he goes, it's very hard to care about one other person, never mind a hundred million. Mao killed 70 million people compared to Hitler's 12 million. He's the happiest, jolliest guy you could ever find. Had no reality for him. And the little, what little reality it did have he, he, I mean, the, the claim, the uh, June Chang's claim in the book about Mao was that he would have loved to have seen his father uh, um, uh, jet plane, his favorite form of torture, not wa- waterboarding. Dumbass Tim Kennedy thinks is is fun. I'd like to waterboard Tim Kennedy with my urine, and you can make a quote of that and send it to Tim Kennedy. I like to fill his nostrils to the brim with my steaming hot uh, <laughs> mixture. It. But I, but I digress. <laughs> I, 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 I digress. Um, so I'm uniquely, singularly focused on Trump. And he's like, you don't understand, man. You don't understand. Trump was an unexpected development, but this is not going to delay or defray or any way change your plans. It was a, a, a cloud with a silver lining. 
got them billions of dollars that they needed. But there are two games in town. And one of those games uh, involves social manipulation um, through ultimately life reduction. <laughs> and one of those games involves the other other way, which is not that. And if you look at human history, it clearly seems that we have a predisposition for the former and not the latter, but now it's being driven. How many billionaires, came, Eisenhower talked about it, how many billionaires, uh, multimillionaires came out of World War II? Beware the military industrial complex. And this ties into my man, Adam Parfrey, who died. It's still unreported how Adam Parfrey died. He started with Stuart Sweezy, a muck press. And then he split off to do Feral House, F-H, Feral House, F-E-R-A-L. He wrote a book, he published a book, no fiction. He published a book by Danny Casalero called The Octopus. And Danny Casalero was uh, 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 was uh, investigating uh, uh, Curb, uh, uh, fuck it, Curb, uh, shit, the Cabazon Indian tribe. And, it, and their connections to the chemical company, Kerr-McGee, and he, he goes deep. And then he was found in uh, outside of a casino in Indian land uh, with his wrist cut and a suicide note written with his non-dominant hand. So Adam Parfrey was a, a, he wanted to publish a book by me. The closest he came was he had me interview these people who were um, adult children of sex crime survivors or some such fucking thing. And they were fundamentally uh, adults who as children had been sexually abused by parents or caregivers uh, through the use of animals. So people who had been forced to have sex with dogs. And I interviewed one and they had a support group and I got invited to support group. Yeah, you hate to think about there being a support group like that, but apparently there was. And I refused fundamentally in the end to write the piece. I said, I don't want to have to think about this any more than I have already. I don't want to have to talk about it. I sure as fuck don't want to write about it because these people are either crazy or, they, they, well, how about this? There's no option. They're crazy, right? Because if it really happened, they're not well. And I don't want to exploit them, their, their unwellness. And if it did really happen, um, if it did really happen, they're unwell. And if it didn't really happen, they're unwell. Because to want to hang your hang your shingle on, on the story connected to that you were being forced to sit, have sex with animals when you were a child. Oh God, I can't even I can't even repeat it. But Adam Parfrey published a lot of stuff. And it was generally um, you know, non-consensus reality-based stuff. His father was Woody Palfrey, a great character actor from the 60s and the 50s, 60s, and 70s, I think, before he died. His father died at 61. Parfrey died at 61. The word that I'm getting right now is that he slipped, had some kind of seizure, slipped, fell, hit his head, never regained consciousness. I don't have a confirmation on that. And I hesitate to ask the people that are friends in common. I haven't asked yet. I'm upset. Uh, I met Parfrey. Parfrey, our, our initial meeting was him knifing me in the back, in actual fact. Uh, he didn't know me at the time, but he, he was the first one to publish um, and or republish a lot of stuff from Anton LaVey. He read my interview with Anton LaVey, and then he 
contacted Anton LaVey about publishing his stuff and Anton LaVey had wanted me to publish his stuff. I'm completely fine with it. He was a publisher through and through, made Feral House into something that I never could have made anything out of. I mean, it would have been a one-off oddity had I uh, helped uh, uh, Anton LaVey put it out and I didn't have my heart into it. Whereas as a publisher, he was really had his heart into it. I mean, at the point where Anton LaVey me said fundamentally, uh, you know, giving me the Lou Reed line before I heard Lou Reed say it was, hey man, I'm an atheist here. I'm just trying to make the rent. That's to paraphrase what Lou Reed said to Terry Gross. And so I found out it was just a scam. I wasn't, I mean, that's great, man. It's a great carnival trick, you know? People out there thinking that you got some kind of connection to evil and there's a way to pay rent for an atheist. Okay, cool, I got you, fine. Scam, got it, cool. But, uh, but when they put out the Apocalypse Culture book, Adam gave a nod to the provenance of his connection with with LeVay. So I thought it was a it was a stand-up guy thing to do. But he's published a lot of these books, which I suggest you go to Feral House, look it up. It's a lot of cool books. It, you know, that's where my Hitler obsession began. Well, actually, it began with Dave Emery and the flight of the werewolf. And Dave Emery, E-M-O-R-Y, you can read a lot of his stuff. And he's the one who fundamentally ties everything back into uh, America's involvement with the Nazis. And that's where I land on this. It's like the, the Mitchell and Webb, the British comedy duo. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, type in, are we the baddies? B-A-D-D-I-E-S. Are we the baddies? And it's two SS men. And one is having a moment of clarity. He's like, I think we may be the bad guys. So what are you talking about? Our, our caps have skulls on them. I can't see how that's possibly good. And he goes, well, you know, they're the skulls of our enemies. He goes, even so, <laughs> there's nothing good about a skull. So it's a great comedy skit. It's about three minutes. You should watch it. But it suddenly dawns on me as Pierre Paolo Capovia is talking, maybe we're the baddies. Maybe the U.S. is, and I go, oh, oh, really? The treaty-breaking, Indian-killing, subjugating, you know, uh, billionaire-creating, yeah, you know, um, let me tell you something. Let me, well, you, whether you're poor white or poor black or poor Latino, your kids go to shit schools, right? Your kids will go to shit schools for what? From five years old to 13 years old, and then they start high school at 14, a shit high school from 14 till they drop out or get pregnant or don't get into college. Not a single billionaire will have their kids in school next to your kid. Not a single one. You will never be able to get into a school where the billionaires send their kids. Not a single one. The billionaires have no interest in you doing anything other than tithing, fundamentally. Turning a fraction of what you make over, over to an economy that's fueled by your misery. Now, this is a straight up communist thing. But you keep in mind that the way that we can keep the timbrels from rolling in America is to create an illusion, to create a belief in this idea, this notion that if we play the right game in the right way, that we too could start a yogurt company called Chobani and we too could be able to give our employees $7,000 bonuses once a year because we make so much money selling original Greek yogurt with fruit in the bottom. 
Stories are few and far between. And the amount of play that they get is 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 disproportionate to the to or is it's highly proportionate to the to the lack of play given to the other stories. So it returns. Are we the baddies? And I have to say, this has come up in the meditation. People are tweeting me and they're asking things like, well, you're going to talk about Mackenzie Dern and, 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 you know, Leslie Smith. And if these things are, let, let's step back a bit. Do you remember the sausage on the plate principle? That every time you go to Vegas, this goes back to my theory. When I went to Vegas I, during a period, I was, I was getting cage side credentials to go to a lot of the fights. Moreover, I was representing Future Publishing, a British publishing company, and I had a meeting with the Baldwin in Vegas. Took the director of marketing, and um, and we made a presentation to them. Fundamentally, Future used to do turnkey publishing. They went to Sony, said, why don't we do Sony PlayStation Magazine? We've got an editorial staff. We could do a monthly. Our other monthlies have a reach. They put out Revolver. They put out Snowboarder. They put out... Uh, Tons of other magazines, typically activity-based, and they would approach industries with an install base, and they were like, we have the know-how, you know, we have the readership, we've got the mechanics, you've got the people, let's make this thing work. Get a meeting with the bald one and uh, a woman named uh, uh, Jennifer, whose name is last name eludes me, and they fundamentally said, yeah, great, how much are you going to pay us? So no, that's not the way it works. We do the whole thing for you, and then we give you a – and it was a sausage on the plate thing. The Baldwin looks at his plate and goes, I got 300 million sausages on this plate. You come in here, and you, I don't know how many sausages you have, but you called me. So let's assume for a second that you don't have 300 million. So no matter what happens in this interaction, I know that the desired end is for this 300 million to become less than 300 million. Even if in the short term you're promising to deliver sausages, this requires me not to get as many sausages as I, as I could because I got to pay attention to you. So the deal didn't end up happening. I think they went with the same company that later bought Amer American Publishing that bought Weeder. I could have this completely wrong. And then if you've seen the UFC magazine, <laughs> no, they killed it. I think it lasted for less than a year and then they killed it. It wasn't killed because it was bad. I don't know that it was bad. I never saw it actually. Um, but I know that something changed, and that was the internet. And nobody, you used to wait for Grappling Magazine to come monthly because it matched the rhythm of the fights. Then suddenly the internet and people, nobody's waiting a month to hear about the fights. On Bloody Elbow, they do it right after the fucking fights. People, that, It's not like you've been waiting. I've been watching the fights for five, five hours, and I get to watch a post-fight show and the post-fight presser and the commentary. You got to go to ozzy.com, ozy.com, and read the piece that I just wrote on uh, on the incel movement. Just go to ozzy.com and then type in my name and then incel, I-N-C-E-L. I talk, I, I pre-led it on the last on V16, which was what's wrong with men. And then, then I wrote the piece about the incel community and said, fundamentally, if you're zero to a five, you're shit out of luck. You're shit out of luck because the system is geared, the market system is geared to having you believe that you have some value greater than a five. If you're a five, that your value is eight 
nine. You should be able to get it. And that's what keeps you at the table. And that's what keeps you away from the timbrels. And that's what keeps them from away from the guillotines. This notion that you have a chance. When in actual fact, when we look at the sausage tally, uh, uh, okay, it's straight up communism that Pierre Paolo Capovilla is talking about, but I'm not talking about communism here. If you look at if you look at how Stalin plays things out, it's a balance of terror, and this is what this is what shrewd leaders who read Machiavelli do. If everybody's quitting, if everybody's quitting, where's the what worldview is that confirming? If everybody's that the system is not working, moreover, that the system is highly dependent on collections of individuals to get things done. I told you on uh, on this show when it was knuckle up about what I felt to be largely an employee work slowdown. And suddenly, a guy who they were going to build the back of the, the, the Latin American market on, Yair Rodriguez, gets yanked. Leslie Smith gets yanked. They've made a calculation that, you know, let Yair go to Bellator. Who cares? He's no, he's no McNuggets. Who they would do anything for to keep happy because he is McNuggets. You like him because he is Bigfoot. I like him because he is my friend. I'm sorry, I'm quoting Prince Paul. I can't remember what movie that's from. So, um... If I have people quitting, that sends the wrong message. If I fire people, that sends the right message. So it's a constant battle between management and and the workers on this hiring, uh, this quitting firing thing. Even if you have five people quit, you have to fire six. Even if that damages, if you don't think that's written down, if you don't think that that's part of what they teach you in fucking biz school, you are out of your mind. You get in their head before you get in their bed. Iceberg Slim Pimp. Read it. It's a modern Machiavelli. It's a deal. It's a calculated poker move. A sausage on the plate move. Yair is gone. Leslie Smith is gone. Mackenzie Dern with the fake accent. Fake. I had a friend who went to the UK and called me after she was there for six weeks. I didn't recognize her on the phone. I almost hung up. This is well before cell phones. I thought she was fake. You're not. And I hung up. Almost hung up. No, no, it's really me. Six weeks had a full-blown British accent. Using words I didn't even know. Ah, we were so chuffed. Chuffed. The fuck, what the fuck? It's like when I came out to California, people said, "Oh man, I was really bummed." Bummed? The fuck? What the? But what the fuck does that mean? So all these bald one moves are straight up iceberg, slim, Machiavelli, whatever. If I got eight people quitting, I'm firing nine because I create the illusion that you can't leave. Was that thing Root Boy Slim said? <laughs> Can't quit my club. 
Jump on this bubble bath, woman. Jump on in and let's rub. You stay on the bottom and I stay on the top. This is a Root Boy Slim song. You stay on the bottom and I stay on the top. Don't you tell me where to go, woman. Don't you tell me where to stop. He goes, I, you can't quit. I need you too bad. I need you too bad. I'm not going to do the whole song, but the point is, people got to go. You can't. You can't. If people had any, it, what, what if they had a, what if they had an MMA fight and nobody showed up? Can't have that. Got to have people dream. Got to have people dream. And toward that end, I have to say, Bellator is doing quite a fine job. I, uh, you know, it's funny that Bjorn Rebney got canned for this, but I think that really the heavyweight uh, a Grand Prix, the the uh, uh, the what the, the, yeah the heavyweight Grand Prix, I think that um, I think it's working, and uh, I don't feel bad about King Mo, even though he's a near known uh, uh, known associate of of the Show Stomper via Kogan. He's never actually been on the show. So I don't feel bad about him getting murked by Ryan Bader, who actually is a foku, a friend of Knuckle Up, the former show. Came on the show maybe twice. Of course, this is, you know, UFC castoffs versus uh, 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 UFC never rans. And I've often thought that King Mo had a lot of glaring holes back when there was a possibility of him fighting, um, uh, fighting uh, a rampage. But he's a solid wrestler. Solid wrestler against solid wrestler. Going to go out with a striker. That left hook seemed like nothing. But it was enough. Like the kick to the face that took out, that Machida used to take out uh, Belfort was enough. Belfort left his gloves in the cage. Says he's retiring, but he's not quitting. I'm sorry. Could you put that through the mystifier? What does that mean? You're retiring but not quitting. You're going to fight again? Well, you might want to pick your fights a little bit more carefully. A little bit more carefully, Mr. Belfort. Getting knocked out the same way that you got knocked out before by a guy who knocked somebody else out the same way, that's not a good look. Of course, a look is perfect in that it gave something that heretofore he had not really had for a while and it created uh, the illusion of hope. And if there's one thing you could give your enemies, a special, specific kind of hell, it would be the illusion of hope. So uh, people are also getting in a tizzy over Pennington not wanting to, uh, not, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this on Tuesday, on uh, if I did it and if the shoes fit. But Pennington tells her corner that she's had enough. And her corner says, no, you got to get back in there. Go, go do it. And they're like, oh, this is a heartless corner and they shouldn't. No, it's not. Allen Ginsberg said in how I've seen the best minds of my generation destroyed, but it's true American grit. I've seen, I've seen solid fighters destroyed by quitting. The damage that they would have taken from continuing that next round is insignificant compared to the damage to their psyches. This is what most people who fight have learned. Or as Joseph Conrad wrote in Lord Jim, cowardice is a killer. Better to face it and get beat than to run from it. One of, one of the guys who was prime, prime, 
like Johnny Boney, Joey, Johnny talented. He used to train with us in the middle of his first MMA match during which he could have killed the guy easily. If it had been a street fight, easily would have killed him. Or if he had been in training, easily would have just murdered this guy. Did an adrenaline dump first round, got wobbly, was out of breath, couldn't breathe, was nervous as fuck. Second round, goes back to his corner. And says, I, I don't know if I can do it. You got to understand, a friend of mine took a woman, God damn it, took a woman twice, a co-worker. No, not a co-worker. Took a woman that he had designs on twice to uh, company-sponsored vacations to the Caribbean, once to Hawaii and once to the, the Caribbean. And she said, my friends say, the only reason you're doing this is because you're trying to get in my pants. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. This is just you know, for fun. And so the first night there, or the first night there, you know, she comes to bed and she's wearing, you know, panties and a tank top or something. And uh, he makes a pass. And she goes, my friends are right. He goes, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. God damn it. How are you going to? Is it any wonder men have problems being men? How you, I told that guy, are you kidding? She didn't say no. That was a cute, fun, flirtatious comment. What did you do then? He said, well, I just, I just went to sleep. I go, if she doesn't want to have sex with you, she's not coming to bed wearing stuff like that. She's wearing fucking dirty sweats and a, dirt, and a big oversized fucking t-shirt. In any case, she's not going to try to fuck you the first night because if it's bad, then she's got to put up with seven days of bad sex. So you go in there. You don't even try the first night. You don't. Don't even try the first night because if it goes badly on your side, like the guy I told you about who had sex, with, was on tour with Bjork, had a miserable sexual experience, not because she was bad, because he blew it and then had to go the whole rest of the tour thing of God, maybe, maybe, maybe if I could get back, I could get back, get back in there. No, she would have let him back in. Unless you like DJ Khalid, don't eat pussy, man. You got, you got to lead strong, make an impression, get invited back. So then he gets angry. He figures, oh, he had a chance, and he invites her to the Hawaii the second time. Same deal. This stuff. She's like, he's a sucker, sucker. He wasn't offering a ba- sandwich bag of shit. He was offering an engaged experience that might have been worthwhile to both of them. He quit. Quit. And when he quit, he lost. And this guy says to his corner, I think, I, 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 don't, I don't think I can go on. And the corner says, okay, we'll wave them off. And they, the bell rings for the third round. The guy throws in the towels, waves his hands, and that's it. I never saw that guy again. I think he came to train once in abbreviated session. And now people talk about this wonderful phenom. Whatever happened to that guy, go, oh, he got a real job. But that's not what happened. The guy that we knew died, died that night. So you might want to get some sympathy about the lack of concern that the over, the billionaire overlords have for a fighter named uh, Pennington. But you got to understand Pennington's corner cares about Pennington in, in a counter counterintuitive way. They, she's better suited coming. It's like, okay, well, what did they know? What, what was learned the first, first four rounds that wasn't going to be shown the last round? Why did they let her? You don't know. You, you can't, you just can't, you just can't. 
She didn't say, I'm not going out. She didn't say, I can't go out. I think she said, I think I'm done. Or even if she said, I'm done. Your corner's job is to say, get back out there. You got to dig down deep. I know a guy was training with Jake Shields, and Jake Shields put an arm bar in him, and the guy was about to tap. He goes, I'm not going to recognize that tap. Dig down deep. I'm not putting this thing on hard. Keep going. The guy's deep, deep, deep. And the guy's bicep snap rolled up like a Venetian blind. Spends eight months with his arm in a fucking cast. Gets it out, comes back to train, does the same thing for his left arm. Bing. Same situation. Jake Shields, bing. Dig down deep, dig down deep, snappy, gone. Okay. So Pennington, oh, so she, you know what? She's a better person for going out like she did than stopping when she wanted to. It's called fighting. Until something changes, you don't like to see people getting beat up, don't watch fighting because that's the name of the game. There were a lot of don't cares on the card, so I don't think Paul Daly. People are trying to put him in the Lost Battalion. Lost Battalion is about awareness. If you do some masterfully meta, meta shit like booing yourself as you're getting punched in the face, that's the kind of shit that that that's the kind of stuff that that uh, legend is made of. You know, when I used to play uh, 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 rugby, I would start, I'd get in the scrum and I'd start singing to the guy. I was a tight head prop, the loose head prop. I'd start singing. The only guy who bested me was an old guy. We played the old blues. And this old guy we got in the scrum and I start singing, you know. I started singing The End by The Doors. You know, and I very specifically, father, yes, son, I want to kill you. Mother, yes, son, I want to rape you. Ah, then the scrum would start, right? The older guy hears me, you know, I do it. Maybe I get the first line and the second scrum is the second line. And at one point we lock up, he turns to me and he bites the fuck out of my cheek. Genius. Didn't give a shit. Get your mouthpiece, bite down hard or do whatever. Bit me in the fucking cheek. So uh, Paul Daly, you know, and that and that's the kind of shit that makes you a uh, friend of not knuckle up, friend of Ozzy, Gaston Bolanos, friend Matt Webster did a piece on him for Ozzy. Uh, he, he won his fight. Yeah. He won against the guy who's got a, a, a lost record, but, um, it was, a, it was an interesting loss. Chopped him down like a tree with the leg kicks and they weren't strict Muay Thai leg kicks. It was, they were interesting kicks worth worthwhile seeing. Ryan Bader, friend of knuckle up, comes out with the win, moves on in tournament style. Fucking it's a win as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's a degraded product, the Bellator, but this kind of shit, Gives you what the UFC doesn't. It gives you regularity, predictability, and parameters that we all understand going into it. Amanda Nunes, ah, whatever. You know, Pennington, ah, Dern, 
you know, this is all about all about Machiavelli. And now there seem to be fairly serious signs that they're moving into boxing. Do not believe for a second that they're not moving into boxing. Because I guarantee you, Don King and Bob Arum don't have don't have uh, clocks at home that run backwards. And Oscar De La Hoya, if he could have done it with Golden Boy, he would have done it. Now, there's room for growth. Any biz school graduate would tell you there's room for growth. Oh, uh, the UFC gets like they do so well with MMA. It's not the point. Don't you remember Colonel Cathcart and Catch-22? said, oh, 20 missions? We flew 20 missions. No, we got to fly 40. 40, okay, we flew on 40. Okay, now 60, 80, 120, however many. You don't understand. What we're pursuing here in America is the, the, the monster and the illusion of more. It's the most potent fucking drug ever. What makes a man start fires more? You don't see China. China is interested in a very different type of more. You see a, a, a scenario that we get into war with China is unlikely. Look at all quack, quack. When will they get our money back? You think I'm going to pay you? Is that the way it works? Have you ever known gangsters to pay people that they owe necessarily? Oh, Eugene, that's unlikely. Yeah, World War II, America's entry into World War II, the skids were greased. We were refusing to trade oil, oil to the Japanese. These are not the actions of a friend. You got to stop thinking that we're the good guys. <laughs> we didn't get to be where we are, number one, being good guys. You just do not. You just do not. Good guys finish last. Okay, you've heard that before, right? Well, who finishes first? <laughs> so, in this instance, it doesn't matter that the bald one is doing MMA half-assed and badly. It does, because his only competition is half-assed and bad. And the reality of it is, boxing is half-assed and bad, too. And he's got to figure, and he might be figuring correctly, he's at least as smart as Floyd Mayweather. And if he's less smart than Bob Arum and Don King, who cares? Those guys would be dead in the next five years. It's a smart growth opportunity, even if he does it badly. And he comes over with the imprimatur of having done it for the UFC, and all he has to do is put McNuggets up on, on his billboard with on the table with a picture of his face on his face and go, that's what I did for him. Mr. Red Panty Knight, Mr. 135. You know, nothing will stop the infinitely rich, including you or me. And if you look at things that way, Trump has become a kind of savior because he's too stupid to actually be effective in the marshalling of a war effort to benefit petrol petro billionaires. He will do what he's told. And so if you believe that Vladimir Putin is a man of peace and is pursuing what, what mobsters pursue, remember, mobsters are fundamentally heads of parasitical organizations. Viruses that kill their host are ineffective viruses. Parasites have figured out how to live on the host. And this is why the mafia resisted with drugs for so long, because it destabilized the host. A destable host is a destable marketplace, and it brings everybody a lot of grief.
these are the, these are the, Putin's Putin's ethos. Oh, civil people's rights. Yeah, okay. And so, if your rights involve somehow redistributing wealth or destabilizing a marketplace, fuck you, fuck you. Not gonna happen. In any case, in any case, uh, I mean, you can see we've come full circle here. And when I presented it that way, away from the weeds of this news cycle, pussy grabbing and porn stars screwing and, and you know, angry wife and, and all, all the stuff that we're obsessed with. Trump guy in a quiet moment said, I think he will win in 2020 and then he's going to get iced. Because if you look at it, like any casino guy should know, does the house always win? Yes. A, sometimes B, uh, always, C, never. No, always. The house always wins. You never weigh more than Russia. And this they, this they that he stumbled into opposing, the canard is Russia. The target is China. Don Corleone is America. Trump is Fredo. By dint of, of accidental quirk, he, he got to where he could do. His incompetency is our saving grace. Who to vote for in 2020? The person who seems least likely to be bought. How do you know who that person is? You don't. You have no fucking idea. Donahassee Coates wrote a great piece about uh, called I'm Not Black, I'm Kanye. It's not interesting for me for many different regards, but in one, it's very interesting. He talks about fame, which is a function of wealth. You can have famous people who don't have any money or who have very little money but the same reality distortion field kicks in and he talks about it. Meeting another famous writer and the writer looks at him and goes, yeah, I bet you're getting lots of pussy. See, that's the American obsession with weeds. The reality is billionaires don't really care about money because they've got billions of it. But they like the idea of making more because that translates to influence. And influence sets things up so they can get the more plate sausages on the plates and more sausages on the plates lets them determine social policy. If you have somebody who's um, pro-socially minded, maybe they get involved in education initiatives. Maybe they care about malaria. Maybe. Maybe. Where did AIDS come from? Starts to sound like tin hat stuff, right? You don't think this population control thing? You got to stabilize a marketplace. These people are drains on the fucking system. Do you have minerals? Do you have services that you can that you can sell that will make it easy for me to produce iPads, iPhones? No. So you want me to further your fortunes, taking sausages off my plate, putting them on your plate? because of something called the goodness of my heart. 
The billionaires have to say to you and me what I've said to many. If I'm the best friend you have, you're in big trouble. I can't imagine I'm the best friend you have. And when a billionaire with 300 million sausages on his or whatever, a billion sausages on his plate tells you that, you should be very concerned. So this has uh, necessarily rocked my world. And with that, with the untimely death of Adam Parfrey at Feral House, has caused driven me back to I got I I got to do some more research. I got to go back to the source material. I don't know what's going on. It, let's go back to to the Kennedy assassination. Is Trump a patsy? Is he our Lee Harvey Oswald? I mean, I think we can agree he's not really running things, right? This is like the end that they expected, that they hoped that they could drive with a Sarah Palin. But the difference is Sarah Palin was just a hick from Alaska. Had no cross-generational expectation of efficacy. I mean, you know, if you get a stooge, you give somebody a sinecure, you just want them to show up and move the staple around every now and then. Their stapler, answer the phone like they, they got some real business. You don't want them actually thinking they can do something. Trump, Trump never got the memo. And the people in the street that, that follow him have displayed an amazing gullibility that's worth many sausages off of many plates of many billionaires. My prediction based on these dark, dark clouds is that those people will be pimped out, their asses will be plunged, and he'll be flushed, he being Trump. To which I'm going to quote another movie. There'll be no movie show review this week because the wife is in Poland visiting family. I'm batching it. But as John Houston, Chinatown, drives away, child molester drives away with his granddaughter. They say the Getty is played by Jack Nicholson. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. And that's how we're going to end this show. The stuff you can do. But uh, uh, the, the only thing that can possibly save us I think is that America is unsavable <laughs> because it's uncontrollable. But it doesn't mean we can we it doesn't mean that uh it doesn't mean that we're going to emerge from this unscathed. If you're ad, if you're a battle-aged man between the ages of 18 and 35, you're probably fucked. And you should think very carefully about who you vote for. You're not going to get lucky enough, even if Trump gets in for a second term, to avoid what's coming. Not at all. So anyway, that's the show. I'm going to think about this stuff some more. V17, the Eugene S. Robinson showstopper. I'm going to have, I'm going to go deeper. In it. I'm going to see if I can let me see if I can change my mind before next week. Let me see if I can come to a firmer conclusion by next week. On Tuesday at 7.20, we have If the Shoes Fit. 
followed immediately, immediately by, uh, no, uh, if I did it, 720 followed immediately at like uh, 40 minutes, 30 minutes later at 750 by if the shoes fit. Talk about PR, PR kerfuffles inside the world of MMA for if the if I did it outside the world of MMA, if the shoes fit. The next day, if there's a fight this coming weekend, we go to uh, Care Don't Care Preview. If you want to pay for the show, patreon.com slash the T-H-E stomper, show stomper. In the comments below, if you're interested in the Eugene S. Robinson uh, 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 guide to gym etiquette, I'll just forward you on to the guys who actually put it together to see if you can buy stuff from them. Uh, Boone Wells, uh, uh, The Easy Way Out is out. Buy it. Otherwise, I fought jet lag as much as I can. I got to go to sleep. Thanks for listening this far. Hope it made some sense to you. If not, whoa, well, I'll do better next week. Until then, look what you made me do! Ah!